welcome to the Progression Health Podcast. I'm here with Matt Brennan. Matt, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, yeah, hi guys. Uh, I'm uh, Matt Green. Um, I'm an international uh, marathon runner for, for England. Um, I'm also a uh, run coach for Prime Triathlon Coaching and uh, own a, a running shop here in uh, St. Helens, which is just between Manchester and, and Liverpool. So um, definitely two locations people will have heard of, uh, at least if you're football fans, you will have done. Um, so yeah, selling running shoes and things like that. And we, it's me and, and my mum who uh, competed in the Olympic Games in, in 1988 in the marathon as well. So uh, we're a running family. Well, very good. So you come from a good good start. So yeah, yeah where, where exactly are you from? Um, just remind people and how would you describe yourself? you know, and everything that you do? Uh, yeah, so um, so born in, in, in St. Helens and, and sort of raised in, in Wigan, which is just a little town down the road. But um, if you say that in St. Helens, you you, you probably get shouted at as a, as a rival of uh, rugby teams. Um, and then, yeah, sort of live live in Liverpool now. Um, so um, just, just outside, well, the big city outside St. Helens. Um, yeah, so yeah, um, mostly these days race, race marathons. Um, Started off as a as an eight hundred meter, four hundred meter runner, and um, back when I was about fifteen or so, uh, fourteen, fifteen, moved through the distances, um, and eventually, when I sort of turned thirty, uh, moved up to the to the marathon distance. Um, that's probably where I've had had my major sort of breakthroughs um, in running. So yeah, two eighteen oh nine for the for the marathon um, out in California uh, last uh, last December. Um, I've just come back from from Copenhagen, having represented England in the Copenhagen Marathon, um, which is a little slower um, due to uh, some uh, pretty impressive temperatures uh, out there. Um, I'll have to run a marathon in anyway, um, and I'm sure we'll, sure we'll jump into that. But um, yeah, um, obviously from day to day is both training and then uh, working in the running shop. So chatting to lots of runners, um, helping them find the, the right running shoes and, and, and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, do a bit of coaching as well. Brilliant. Yeah, you're fully immersed in the sport. So <laughs> so you're a run coach as well. So just tell us a little bit about the run coaching you do and your kind of style of coaching and who you work with. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm run coach for, for Prime Triathlon uh, Coaching. So um, primarily the, the, most of the guys in the, the other coaches uh, in the team are all are all um, triathlon coaches. Um, I'm just run specialty. So just focus on, on the running side. So helping either triathletes or obviously runners. Um, on whether they want to train for sort of, uh, well, beginner, um, and, and sort of short stuff, 5k, 10k's all the way up to, to marathon, um, and a mix of ages really, uh, and, and, um, abilities. So, uh, one of my recent successes was a, a lady called Barbara, um, who's 63. Um, hopefully she, she, um, doesn't mind me saying revealing that. Um, but she, she, um, is a, is a, is a triathlete, a triathlete actually, um, has tried to do a couple of Ironman, um, events. And always struggled with the, the marathon. It's always, it's always been her Achilles heel. Uh, so she, she really wanted to do a marathon to say that she could do it and she could conquer the distance. Um, so she wanted to do Manchester Marathon, which I've won previously. Um, and so she came on board and she said, um, you know, her goal was to get round. And then she sort of said that her goal was, was to break four hours. Um, you know, she was still competitive and, and still wants to be competitive. So she, she, she wouldn't have been happy if she didn't break four hours. Um, and yeah, we, we did a 12 week block, um, for that marathon and probably about six weeks in, I, I thought, you know, as long as nothing bad happens, the rest of this block and the, the day is, is nice weather wise and things like that 
four hours was was going to be a breeze for her. Um, the training looked really good. Pace was really good. Um, and yeah, she she ran um, uh, three hours forty. I want to say forty two something. Um, so it was fantastic. Uh, it was a great run for her. And yeah, uh, we're now having a look at some shorter distances for the summer. And she's she's contemplating whether or not she wants to run another marathon and use her good for age for for London next year or not. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how what she what she feels. Um, but yeah, um, coaching some you know some guys for for ultra distances and, and some guys for some of the shorter stuff as well. So um, love doing it. Um, and yeah, my my sort of coaching philosophy and things is, is the the main thing is is that we're enjoying what we're doing. Um, I think it's really easy to try and beat yourself into the ground with running, especially stuff like the marathon and things like that. Um, you know, it, it's 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 a little bit easier with the five k and ten k's where you can you know, race one and, you know, not go well. And the week later, have and crack at another one and that go better. Um, in the marathon, you know, you, you, you're you putting everything into, you know, anywhere between 12 to probably 16 weeks worth of blocks is, is where I usually work in a marathon block. Um, you put, we're giving a lot of time up and stuff into that. And, you know, if, if it, sometimes it doesn't go well on the day, you know, and, and that can be outside your control. That can be stuff like weather and, and things like that. Um, just getting there on the day doesn't go well and, and stuff, you know, transportation, traffic on the road and stuff, um, you know, or, or it can be just niggles and injuries through the, through the, through the block of, of pushing your body to, to its limit to train for that marathon. And um, I think the main thing that is, you know, you, you, you enjoy that journey and that process of doing it. And if you don't, then, you know, um, you know, you, you're probably going to finish it and not never want to run again sort of thing. So um, yeah, always, always want to enjoy what you're doing. What a, a great result for someone at 63 as well and to smash yeah. the goal. Yeah. Oh, Amazing. Fantastic run. Yeah, so, really proud of it. So you mentioned just you looked at her training and everything was going well. What what yeah. do you look for as indications of the training's trending in the right direction, the wrong direction? What are the details? Um, so, you know, obviously she, she had a goal of that four-hour marathon. So a lot of the paces we were looking at around her marathon pace runs were, were, were you know, to try and do that four-hour pace and, and sit on that and, um, and hit that and she was very much finding it easier and she was sort of going quicker than that pace and she was telling me she was finding it easier and things like that and you know I mean just looking at a, a fitness block you know I was putting in a running training but I could see that then she was you know she was hitting the pool every morning and she was out on the bike you know every other days and she she said she'd relaxed off a, a try training so she could focus on the marathon but I could still see she was doing a lot so from a fitness perspective I knew she was you know, not only in, in great running shape, but in overall general fitness, really good shape. And so um, you could just sort of see, you know, I was giving her some sort of faster work sessions that she she's never really done before too much sort of thing. And um, and I think that's something that people who, who, who go to the marathon maybe miss out sometimes is they miss that faster sort of stuff, but it makes the marathon miles feel so much easier. Um, and yeah, she was sort of hitting them and, and smashing those sessions as well. And it all just sort of started to paint that picture that that, that, that sub four pace was 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 going to be you know too easy for her really and I didn't I never really told her where I thought she could go um, because I, I didn't want to put that sort of pressure pressure on her because um, her goal you know at the end of the day was she wanted to break four um, but I also could see that you know if she set off at a faster pace and and you know more round that three forty area and things like that it, it wasn't going to be too much for her. Um, um, and it, and it, it wasn't at the, you know, at the end of the day sort of thing that she came away with, with that and, and conquered that marathon distance and, you know, her recovery, she, she seemed really good and she was competing in a swimming championships sort of three weeks post, post Manchester marathon and things like that. So she's, 
she seems to have recovered well and stuff. And yeah, we're having a little focus now on some 5Ks and things like that and doing some faster, faster work and stuff. Brilliant. Yeah, that, that shows you the power of having a good coach and a proper plan in place. So yeah. just with the faster runs, how, how much faster would it be, for example? So, you know, do you have any kind of example times of she was aiming for X time in the marathon? How much faster on her faster runs would she be going roughly? Um, she's talking like maybe like um, we're talking like sort of like mile efforts or so. So, um, I think the pace off the top of my head. So yeah, it was something like nine oh eight would have been marathon pace to for a sub four. I think that's right. Um, so we were talking like you know we were talking like those faster efforts would be down at you know low eight minute mile paces and things like that. And she was taking them more into the sevens and stuff. Um, and it, it just sort of you know it. Being able to put in faster work makes the marathon paces feel a lot easier. Um, I think when you've a lot of people come to the they start running and they you know they'll they'll do couch to five k programs and conquer the five k and then jump to the ten k and suddenly they're doing a half and then they're onto the marathon because the marathon is that distance that's sort of represented by all. Everyone knows someone who's you know I know my mum back in the day when she was a track athlete and you know you had the boom of of the the marathons in the in the mid 80s and things like that and people would ask her you know oh what's your marathon time and she would go oh well i don't do marathons and like what do you mean you're a runner you don't you know do you mean you don't do marathons because that was what people understood by running was the marathon distance um and so everyone sort of you know when they start running they sort of have that goal in mind is the marathon is what they want to get to um and but what they and you know it's for a lot of people, it's to conquer the marathon distance to say they've achieved that distance. And that, that's fine. And, you know, in that regard, um, to, to do the distance, it is a challenge. It is something that obviously you could, you could walk it if you wanted to walk it and do the distance. So then when you start to add timing parameters onto it, it then becomes more challenging of, you know, how fast you want to do that. And obviously, depending where you want to go with that time, the faster you want to go with that time then comes in you know well how do you make that training it's it's not then about being able to be time on feet and just necessarily get out and make sure you can run for six hours or so it's then about okay how do you you know that four hour sort of time that sub three hour clock in which is a, a big thing and there's facebook groups and everything that on it is you know it, it's about how do you make that that pace that you need to run for that time feel comfortable and easy um you know, and, and if you look at the, the you know, the elite runners and as, a, as you know, um, some of the big names, the likes of uh, obviously Kipchoge and Bikili and Mo Farah uh, in the UK and things that all have run shorter track distances and gone up to the marathon. And that's primarily the, the historic or from the sort of 50s, 60s era, historic way of, of going into the marathon. You would come from shorter distances and go up as you lost speed and, and power and go up into the enjoy, you know, mile you were older and, and have that mileage in there um and that would then allow you but you knew that speed and you knew what that felt like to run fast so that then running at those slower paces for the marathon obviously it's over a lot much longer time and sustained time um but it makes that pace feel a lot more comfortable and um i i chat to um jeff smith who's um who won boston marathon and has a 209 uh, marathon runner at times he, he lives he lives in america but um he still has his his parents' house in in uh, around Cropsleth Park, which is where I where I live. Um, and I see him ever so often when he's over and things. And I, I chat to him and get advice from him, which is which is fantastic to do from someone. And um, 
as, as, as great a runner as, as Jeff, Jeff is and was. And, um, you know, he, he's always telling me I need to go back and focus on my 10, 5 and 10K a little bit more um, because I probably didn't give them, especially the 10K, didn't give it the devotion it needed to maybe, you know, just get that time that probably should be in there. And I think realistically my, my 5K and my marathon time suggest my 10K should be quicker than it is. Um, and he, he always says, you know, you need to go get that faster and it'll just make the 10K splits feel so much easier in the marathon. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm looking to do over this summer. Um, we're having a bit of a break from the marathon till, till the, the winter, I think. Um, but yeah, sort of, get, you know, just making sure you're running some paces. You know, it's only one session a week um, because it, it does need a little bit more recovery from it. Um, but doing it at that higher intensity, you know, something above above marathon pace just makes those marathon miles feel so much easier to do. So it's like to be a, a good marathon runner, you know, good, whatever good is, you should be well-rounded and have good times in the smaller races leading up to that also. That's kind of... Yeah, yeah, I think like, I mean, I think if you if you train, I don't want to say train right for it because there's, there's all different ways to, to train and work, what works for different people. But I think, um, you know, there's a matter of developing that that speed that makes the miles feel easier. And I think if, you, if you've trained in, in a way that develops that, then there's no reason why you shouldn't be getting close to, you know, personal bests in those shorter distances, whether it's in the in the in the the marathon block itself or post recovery from the marathon, and you know your fitness is there and the speed's been there. That then obviously without going as high on the miles and stuff and letting the body be at a recovered level, you can then achieve some some personal bests on that, that those the shorter distance side of things. Um, I mean, yeah, Bar- Barbara, for example, nearly was. I think she was ten seconds off the five k best in in a five k race that she did in the middle of the the block. That it was a it was a club, um, a club championship race that she she wanted to do and things. So we used that as the, as the session for 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 that week, that faster session. Um, and yeah, I think it was a it was a, a fastest time in about five or six years from before she was she was sixty that that she went and ran sort of thing. So um, that that again was a, a good indicator for me that that marathon pace was was you know was the, the sub the, that. 908 marathon pace was probably too slow for her really um and that she you know she should really be running quicker on on race day um and and yeah obviously yes she did so age is only a number is what i'm learning from that oh yeah definitely yeah definitely especially for the for the longer the distances you know um it yeah it gets harder on the shorter stuff on the side of things um you know a lot of it becomes power and stuff that and it's, it's again that's why you know, a lot of the the track runners will move up in distance because they lose that power as they get older. Um, you know the way to keep it is you and you see it in in um, sort of masters athletes and things like that and veteran athletes. Um, they tend to look a little bit more muscular and powerful if they are more or still doing the track work and stuff like that because they've got to go. They lose they're losing that power through age, but to do to keep that, they go and do strength work and you know, in the gym and things like that and build that muscle power up, which, you know, a lot of the younger athletes we should be doing. Um, it's only something I'm starting to bring in now. Um, but it's something that, we, you know, we just think, oh, we'll just go out and run all the time and that'll be enough. And it is when you're younger, you, you get away with that. Um, but as you get older, you lose that 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 power, you know, the, 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 the body is naturally decaying as we age. That's how that's what's happening. Um, so to, you know, to sustain that power, you've got to go in and, train differently and adapt to make sure you you just you know you can 
you can build that power and, and maintain it and retain it. Um, and that then involves going to the gym and, and training in very much a different way to maybe what you've been doing as a, as a younger athlete and things like that. Yeah, we've got to adapt over time. So yeah. with your own running experience, so just how many marathons have you done? And, you know, what, what finishes have you had? Um, yeah, so um, I think I'm about seven marathons now. Um, my first one was a, was a great great learning curve um i was originally meant to do london marathon 2020 so just before covid obviously it was cancelled with covid um so then it was a matter of looking for another one and uh, a local race organizer tried to set up one um as an um an elite only race for those that were trying to qualify for the olympics really and set us you know an ability to try and get a qualifying standard and um i think a couple I think there was an Israeli athlete that managed to get over and race, and she did, and uh, an Irish athlete as well, I think, uh, managed to get the standards um, at that race. It was the, the um, Elite Cheshire uh, Marathon um, and Half Marathon, um, and it was basically a um, like a, a three-mile loop um, or two-and-a-half-mile loop or so um, in, in this little little village out in, out in Cheshire. Um, and... I'd sustained an ankle injury in the in the January uh, on the ice uh, that we'd had, and so pretty much trained on a treadmill for the for the whole marathon block, um, which wasn't ideal. Uh, I think four weeks before the marathon, I was able to 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 get off the treadmill. It was a sixteen week block. Um, I was able to get off the treadmill and, and run outside, um, and which I ran my five k PB in in that window. It was pretty much my test of whether my ankle was going to hold up or not. Um, so. Um, so yeah, so it was it was quite difficult one to practice sort of fueling and nutrition because I was just on the treadmill and it was like well you know I can't really practice running past and grabbing water and running past and grabbing gels and stuff. Um, plus, I'd never needed that sort of fueling in a race before because it was you know for halves so I, I didn't I didn't do that. Um, you know, I might take on water maybe on a, on a, a really hot day and a half or something like that, but it was never something I really needed and and and, and did um, and. Though my mum kept telling me I should practice it, she also kept saying how she was really a 10,000 meter runner. And even though she went the Olympics in the marathon, it, that wasn't her distance. And they didn't have gels or anything back then. They just had water anyway. So what did she know? So I said, okay, yeah, what do you know? And I'll just carry on as it is. Um, and so I, I didn't take on any fuel or any water in that, in that marathon. And, um, that the last 10K was, was very, very, uh, hard going, a <laughs> really hard graft. Um, and sort of, yeah, showed me the, you know, the, the importance of, of working that fuel and, and getting that right. Um, which then went on to the Manchester marathon in, in, in October of 2021. That was my, my 30th birthday, uh, the same day. And yeah, I, I won that. Um, I, I nailed the, the fueling on there. Um, so I took my first gel. The plan was eight miles. Um, and then, but I knew that I'd take it whenever I felt it. So I always, I always say to my athletes, don't, don't be so rigid with the, with your planning of your nutrition, like have a plan of when you want to take stuff. But if you need it earlier, be ready to take it earlier. Um, because if you hold out to when you plan on taking it, then the chances are you've already fallen off that, that curve, um, of fueling and you, you're not coming back from that. You, you know, you, you needed it back those two miles earlier when your body started telling you you needed fuel and you've, you've held out because just because you had a, a rigid plan in your head. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up taking it. Um, I think just before seven miles, my first gel, and then pretty much every every four miles or so after that, I, I took another gel, um, and I just took water at every five k water station. 
Um, didn't use the elite the elite tables or anything. Uh, just used the, the standard water, um, which I've done for a lot a lot of my marathons to be fair. Um, and then two weeks after that, I stupidly um, would never advise it and had to have quite a difficult discussion with my coach at the time about doing it. Was the it was the the Liverpool marathon? Um, it was the last Liverpool marathon they were doing. Rock and roll were were, were stopping it after after it, and it hasn't. We, we haven't had a marathon come back to Liverpool yet. Um, my girlfriend was doing the half marathon, and um, she sort of said, "Oh, you know, maybe you should. Why don't you do the marathon and things?" Um, and no one had run under two thirty in in it for quite a while, and on that course, uh, the, the course it was at the time um, ever, um, and. I thought, well, yeah, I could even run it a little bit easier and, and still maybe win it. Um, and with it being local to the shop and, and things like that, it, it felt like a good little way of promoting the shop. And, and, and you know, you pay a lot for the marketing that, that I sort of gathered from from doing that race um, for free sort of thing. So um, well, I had to pay for race entry, which I haven't done for a while, which was a surprise one. Um, <laughs> they're expensive races these days. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I went and did Liverpool Marathon. Um, I still went off um, far too quick for the first mile or so. Um, so you, you did a marathon, right? And then you did two weeks later, you did another marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I say. 100% all out, just. Uh, um, pretty pretty much for the first half, it was 100% all out. Uh, then I started to suffer because um, it was it was paper cups and I just couldn't get any water on. Um, so I started to cramp up from, yeah, probably around 15 miles. I was, I was struggling a bit with cramp. Um, and I'd been solo from, from, from the gun. Um, and there was at 20 miles, there was a U-turn. So I clocked my watch at, at 20 miles and watched then for when the next athlete I saw, where, where I saw them. Um, so I, I, I found out I had a five minute lead, um, with 20, uh, 20 miles. So, um, I thought I should, should hopefully be able to sustain that. Um, and I did, um, and he closed me down to, to two minutes by the end because um, I had to. I actually had to stop at twenty three miles and stretch my hamstring out. It was cramping so bad. Um, but um, but yeah, I won that in in two twenty six. So it's it's still my slowest marathon um, to this date. But um, but yeah, it was uh, it was good fun to do, and yeah, it it it, uh, it it got a lot of customers popping into the shop and things like that. So it, it worked it worked out well. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah, um, really, really well. Yeah, Enjoy and then, um, and then after that, um, was was the build up then for for Manchester Marathon twenty twenty two, which is was the uh, the trials for um, the Commonwealth Games um, for England and the European Championships and the European fifty k Championships as well was being used, it was uh, being used for selection for that, and so there was a there was a, a lot of vests up for grabs um there was obviously a lot of big names heading in there johnny meller who's a, a 21003 runner um was the, the favorite um a couple of his training partners were going to be the pacemakers for it um there was um kev seawood as well um from ireland who was who was racing and again who's 210 i think 21008 or something like that um so there was there was a lot of fast guys in the field um and um, I sort of had this thought in my head that back in in the Manchester in in, in October, um, the way I'd run it was I'd gone off really hard. Um, I'd ran, um, you know, my first mile was four forty, which was a bit stupid and daft, but I'd managed to sustain it. I'd managed to, you know, yes, yeah, slow the pace down a bit, and then got scared from from the halfway point and and backed off a little bit. 
um, but won it in, in 218. And so my thoughts for, for Manchester was that uh, there was two races. There was the race, which was sit in the pack, sit in, in the pack that's been set up for Johnny Meller, um, his pacing group and everything like that, and run run his race, really, um, and just hope that that becomes a sensible way for me to do it and things. But I've never raced a marathon in a pack. The two I'd run, I'd run pretty much solo. Um, so I was like, well, I don't know whether I could do that. I don't train in a group. I don't have a training group around me. I, I train solo the majority of the time. Um, I've got my mate who joins me on a bike and and, um, and helps me out quite a lot. Um, but other than, other than that, I'm, I'm solo running. Um, and then, so the other thought was, well, what if I ran it the way I ran it in in October? Um, and because the qualifying standard was 2.14 and I went through halfway in 2.12 pace, um, I would have a lead of about 30 seconds or so on that pack, um, of which obviously the likes of Johnny and Kev Seawood and stuff were capable of then going a lot quicker. So they would then start, in my mind, from halfway, they would start hunting and they'd start coming after me because they knew they were comfortable and they'd they'd have whittled down the pack a little bit to a number where they know they can make the teams and make the selection spots now. So then they can push on and and, and get on with that. Um, and that was in my head an idea. And so I sort of asked my mum about it and what her thoughts were from, from her experience and background. And, you know, it, it did seem a little bit of a mad idea. And we knew people were going to watch me do it and go, what's he doing? It's just stupid. And, you know, what, what, you know, he's, he's nowhere near one of the fastest in the field. What's he playing at? Um, but my mum's, my mum's message to me was that her greatest regret in her running career was when she went to the world champs, um, in Rome in, in 1987 in the 10,000 meters. And the, the British coach said, well, you're all around the same speed. So just sit in the pack and just, just wait. Um, and it was, they had, they had heats in the 10,000 uh, championships and she was in the first heat, uh, sorry, she was in the second heat and the temperature jumped um uh, I think something like 15 degrees between heat one and heat two um in the space of sort of 10 minutes between and she missed out on qualifying by one place to the final at the world champs because she ran the race that the the coach had told her to run and not the race that she would have wanted to run um and so we we sort of said that for me to make a team it was going to have to be a big performance anyway, no matter what, it was either going to be something special running the group or something special out on my own. And the way we looked at it and talking to my coach at the time, who was, who was Rory uh, Linkletter, um, who, you know, runs relatively similar, obviously a lot faster, but relatively similar sort of tactician and, and way of running uh, to a degree, um, was that this was going to be the approach that would leave me with the least regret at the end of it. Um, I would either do something special and it would, we'd go, yeah, it was a success job done or it wouldn't work, but at least I ran my race and not someone else's race. Um, and we just learn from it and, and say, we tried it. Okay. Let's try a different tactic next time. Um, and so, yeah, it, it didn't work out. Um, and mostly I, I, my, my, I think it didn't work out because, um, I got a rush of emotions when they caught me because they caught me earlier than what I wanted them to catch me at. So, in my head, they weren't going to catch me till oh, I was going to be in the lead at 13 miles, at halfway with 30 seconds lead, and then they were going to start catching me. And there wasn't going to be that many of them. They were going to group was going to have dropped off a bit. Uh, you know, there was probably going to be maybe five or six hunting me, and that means I'd still be in a position to grab a vest 
I just had to hold on then for dear life for the for the, for the final half uh, or so. Um, but they caught me at ten miles um, because, and I think because they didn't like the idea that I was still had such too much of a lead. I, I've never spoke to any of the guys and stuff like that, but I know someone did make a point to me that was watching it and said because people were sort of saying on the side what was I playing at and what was I doing, and he sort of turned to them and said, "Well, Matt's the only one in this race that's actually won a marathon before. His time might not be there." Uh, in comparison, but he he's won a race, he won a marathon race before, and there's still a little something to to winning a race, winning a marathon over over not. Um, and whether that played a little bit in people's minds, I don't know. But yeah, they they picked up the pace that they should have been running at, and they caught me um, by ten miles rather than after the halfway point. Um, and instead of then going, okay, you know, I've just got to regroup now, sit in the pack, settle down, let's be sensible, and just you know. Do what I was gonna do when they when they did eventually catch me at a later point. Um, I didn't do that, and my emotions went high. And I did two miles of fartlek, basically running and sprinting off the group um, <laughs> and trying to get away from them again. To them, to then swallow me back up. To me, to then sprint off the group again. Um, and I think that pretty much cost me um, any any real performance out of that. Um, I finished still somehow with a ten second PB. Um, so. You know, it wasn't a complete and utter failure. Um, there was a personal best in there, not as much as I would have wanted and maybe not as much as there could have been. Um, but, you know, a personal best in a marathon um, is still something that, you know, at the end of the day is, is what you look for uh, when you go to any race is, is to try and improve on yourself, uh, your own performance. So, you know, I sort of achieved that. Um, could it have been better? Maybe. But, uh, you know, we'll never know. Um, but, yeah, that, that then left me with, OK, well, what do I race in? In next and so we went and did, did London uh, did London Marathon and I wrote, uh, decided to, to run that you know different way and run it sensibly and sit in the park and um, and see how that goes and um, yeah it, it, I, I didn't enjoy any of any of it uh, sitting in the park felt really uncomfortable I found myself running side by side with the pacemaker at the front of the pack because I just didn't like trying to sit in behind people and um, and from about eight miles in, my hamstring started to, to cramp quite badly. Um, and just as I went over Tower Bridge, I, I slowed down trying to get rid of it. it. It never really went. So I tried pushing again. Um, and at 20 miles, I, I pulled the plug on it um, just because I knew I had um, California Marathon entered in, in three months later. Um, and I thought, let's just let's not do any damage to myself here. Um, you know, that it's not going well and I'm not going to run it at the time that I'm, I'm happy with or anything. Um, um, let's save myself and, and regroup and, and go for California. So, yeah, um, California was next, and, and that was basically um, quite, a, quite a different experience, uh, really. Um, it was probably the toughest course I've done. I mean, people say it's a, it's a fast course, and it, it maybe is to to a degree, but I, I think it's every every other marathon I'd raced up to that point was basically, apart from Liverpool, which is a little bit different um, and not a fast course in any way, um, but the likes of Manchester and London are typically relatively flat and, and pretty quick. Um, CIM is is rolling hills for 20 miles um, and point to point. And so you've, you've sort of, one, you've got to sort of finish it because otherwise you're, you're out in the middle of nowhere and trying to find your way back. Um, and two, um, you know, when, you, when you've never been to a place and don't know what the hills are going to be like and things like that, it, it's quite difficult to sort of, trust your, your your judgment and and you've not done much hill work and training um it's it's quite difficult to trust your your body a little bit on the hills so 
Um, you know, I went off relatively sensible um, at pace that we, we thought was, you know, around that sort of 215 sort of pace. Um, and then as I got into the hills and things like that, like some of them were, were pretty steep. Um, and it's just as hard coming down them as well. So um, I just I, I just kept sort of backing off and backing off. And I knew that my, my, my coach at the time, Rory, had, he'd finished second the year before. And so his his main message to me was, um, you know, you want to hit 20 miles in this race and be ready to, to just let rip because people will go out too hard on this course and they will die. As soon as the hills are gone, when it's nice and flat and you can really let go because the last 10K is, is a nice gentle downhill all the way to the finish, um, they won't have anything left in them. And he said, if you race it the way you typically race a marathon, you're going to be one of those people. So, you know, be conservative. Um and I think my issue was I was too conservative because I got there with so much energy left in me that I, I felt like I was flying um, the last 10K. Um, but I'd let the time slip too much. And I came away with a PB, um, 218.09. Um, but again, it, it was frustrating in a way because it was another 218 clock and then I'm fed up with 218s um, now at this point, even though it was obviously a great time. Um, but yeah, I just didn't get that. I, you know, I wanted to go quicker and, and um, it felt a bit disappointing not to, to run quicker because i felt i was in better shape um but it was a pb and uh it was a, it was a great experience and i had a nice trip uh, around california and then in, and then flew home by new york and had a week in new york as well with my girlfriend so you know, it was nice um and then yeah there was a, a stupid attempt at trying to do um the live a bird double marathon which is new year's eve and new year's day um and again i thought about doing this for this is this was literally three weeks after cim um i so saw again it was more of a businessman's mindset than the runner's mindset of me of the again local to the to to me um and loads of people go out and support it because it's you know it's back to back on new year's eve and new year's day um, and lots of local people and stuff so i thought i'd go along and i thought i'd have a crack at trying to break the the overall the, the course record for day one the course record for day two and the overall cumulative course record um it was basically three miles out and back along a concrete um, seafront. Um, and day one, um, I, I broke the course record for, for day one. Um, and then day two, um, I got 18 miles in and my IT band went. And it was probably from the back of having done say I am and then trying to push it too soon on trying to do a double marathon on, on concrete. Uh, so it wasn't the most sensible of things and, and not something I think I'll attempt again um, from that. But sometimes you try and have a little bit of fun and, and, and do things differently and things. Um but then, yeah, that, that led me then, um, CIM, um, got me selected for, for the England team for, um, Copenhagen Marathon, um, which was last weekend on the, on the 14th of May. And so, um, I, um, had changed coaches in, in the build up to that, um, or prior to the build up to that, um, uh, mostly wanting to, um, I mean, I really enjoyed my time with Rory and things like that, but sort of wanted someone slightly closer to home, someone who I could go and, um, I mean, my coach Alison now is um, based in Brighton, so she's pretty much the other side of the UK to me um, or England to me. Um, but I can still get down there and, and train with them and she has a good training group and things. So um, I just wanted something that I could sort of get in the mix with a little bit more and, and maybe practice some of those weakest things that are like running in a group and things that I, I don't have the chance to do. Um, so that was that was sort of the the, the, the change really. And, um, I met Alison when I, I first represented England. She was the, the team manager. I did a half marathon for them back in, in 2022. In, in February, I got selected to do that. Uh, she was the team manager there and 
I just gelled with her really well and uh, we had a good laugh and things like that. Uh, her and, and, and Norman Shreve, who was also on the Copenhagen England team with me. Um, and um, so I just reached out to her because her philosophy is very much on um, a training group perspective and having the group around you. And obviously me being at the other side of England to her, I said, I, I sort of thought, well, you know, I think she'd be a great coach for me, but whether it'll work or not and whether she wants to coach me because, you know, I know she had her thoughts on my way of running and, and style. She's very much a very scientific um, approach to things and very, you know, studious and and, and um, sort of approach to things, which is obviously quite different to how I've typically run in the past. And, you know, I, I'm always sort of very much um, heart on my sleeve sort of run and, and just try and leave everything out there. Um but um, but I also thought that her approach then would maybe balance me a little bit, and and together that could be a really good a good thing. Um, and so you know I, I came into the block sort of off the back of that IT band injury um, that then had sort of gone into a bit of an ankle injury, trying to balance that, and having done a couple of cross countries this year for the first time in a while, um, and also getting hit with um, sort of the flu um, that, that seemed to be going round at the end of February. So I was probably at my my least fittest. Um, point to start a marathon training block when we when we started together, um, and there was a couple times in the block where my ankle was was really bad, and Alison was, I think, pretty much in a place where she wanted to ask me with you know did I think it was worth us doing this and continuing, and should we really be sort of letting this to let the selectors know that actually I'm I'm not in shape to do this, and we we, we should just sort of uh, regroup and and get me ankle and and um, and my hip and things like that right and. And then go for another one at a later date. Um, but she, but she didn't, she didn't raise that with me. She, it's something she's told me since then. Um, when we caught up actually after the marathon, but, um, the, you know, the, in my mind, there was, there was questions on, on, on how I was doing. Um, but, you know, as it went on, I really stuck with my, uh, rehab work and, and working with my, my physio, um, and sticking to the training that Alison was setting. We, we were doing it on the treadmill to sort of take out some of the, the you know the the alterations in the camber and and um and terrain and things like that and just let me run on smoother surface so that we could sort of stabilize the ankle and the and the hip a little bit um and that allowed me to get the miles in and you know I probably averaged around 90 miles and we had a couple we had a, a week or two over 100 miles in the block and it was a 10 week block so it was quite a short training block for it because they only got selected 10 weeks out before the marathon so we we, we were sort of straight in and and things um and because of that we decided to be a little bit more reserved on the time I was going to try and run. Um, so we decided to look at sort of trying to run 216.30 rather than those ideas of 214s and things. And, you know, there, there wasn't anything necessary to qualify for. So running 216.30 would be a nice stepping stone in in, in progression. Um, and, yeah, so we decided to do that. Went out to Copenhagen uh, on the Friday before the race with the team. And, you know, um, the, the, the team manager there was, was great. It was Andy Jones, who actually works on the... Um, sub to our project with with uh, Kipchoge and things like that there's a physiologist there um working with Morton and things like that to create the, the products and stuff so he was great um and then Ali Dixon as well who's Olympian and uh, former world record holder for the 50k and was our was our team coach so uh, wonderful to, to be out with them um and then yeah Norman who I mentioned was was on the team who was uh, become a good friend and um it's a good laugh and things and then uh, Will Strangeway who, who I mentioned from um first Manchester marathon I did uh, had been selected as well. Um, and then Alex Lawrence, who, who I didn't know, but was a great lad and had an absolutely fantastic run in, in, in Copenhagen, even with the weather. Um, and then the, the two women that had managed to, um, 
stay fit and healthy. We had we had two dropouts on the, on the women's team uh, were were Philly Bowden and and Anya Cullen, and both of them um, got some big PBs to be fair on the day, which was you know put us us boys to shame to be fair because um, we all seemed to struggle out there. But they uh, they had fantastic performances. Uh, two twenty nine for Philly and uh, two thirty four for for Anya. Um, both of them, I think, two or three minute PBs off uh, for both of them, um, and and Billy finished third overall. To be fair, in in the race, so which uh, for the women's race, which was a fantastic, fantastic run. Um, but yeah, for me, um, I set off. We we all joked, and and Norman was joking, and um, I think everyone else had heard about my my tactics in marathons and things. So everyone was joking about how, um, no matter how much I said I was going to run sensibly and stuff like that, um how much distance I was going to put uh, put on them all uh, in the first 100 metres or so. Um, and I was adamant, you know, no, it's a sensible race. I'm just going to run uh, 5.15s uh, per mile um, and just 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 tick those miles off at 5.15 pace. And if I'm still feeling good at 10, uh, 10K to go, then, we, then we'll let rip and, and, and see what we can do. And that would, you know, that would, that would give me, it would put me through halfway running at sort of to 17, 30 pace. And then we were going to gradually bring it down a little bit. And then 10 K to go, just really let rip and see how much of a negative split we could, we could put together in there. Um, the forecast looked okay. It was a little worrying. It was very hot the day before the race. Uh, Norman was, was really worried. He was, he was actually giving us updates every sort of 10 minutes on what the weather was looking like and things. Um, I was trying not to think about it too much. Um, and yeah, race day morning, we came out. It was actually quite cold. Um, I went to the, the start line with it with a jacket on um still to keep me warm because it, it was it was really quite cool uh you could sort of see the sun was was there but it, the clouds were were full cover um so it kept it quite quite shaded um but as we got probably probably an hour um to an hour 30 into the race um it was like someone had just clicked the fingers um and the clouds had gone and the temperature rose seven degrees um it went from sort of being 14 which was nice Nice temperature, so 21, 22 degrees, um, and 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 climbing from there, um, and yeah, through through halfway, I was spot on pace. Um, I just you know every every I was just literally just clicking clicking the Ks off my watch, just watching it. Um, you know the markers and my watch didn't match up, so I'd split my watch and get back on to, to the next marker, um, and just keep making sure that it was it was at the right pace each sort of K or around the, the right pace each K. Um, which was unusual. I usually work in miles, but um, just because I could get the feedback quicker on my watch in Ks, I decided to swap it for, for for Ks on the watch. And I think I'll probably do that in the future, to be fair, even though I'll train and work in miles the, the, the rest of the time. Um, but, um, and I knew my sort of 5K, 10K, um, 20K, 25, you know, I knew all those splits and obviously they were the, where the markers were. There was no mile markers out on the route. So it was easy to do it that way. Um, but yeah, through halfway, perfect. Um, even at, even at 32k, um, I was I was perfectly on. I was I was I was probably about five seconds slower than where I wanted to be, but still, you know, pretty much would have been a PB by about 30 seconds or so at that point. Um, and so it was then, okay, let let let's go now. Let's let's let rip. Um, and weirdly enough, even though the course was really flat, there was suddenly a little hill at that point. Um, as we went sort of like over like a flyover, and um, that came at the time I didn't need it to come. Um, and then add that to the the temperature suddenly starting to to kick in and, and have an effect on me. Um, it just felt like a real slog that last ten k, and in the end, I ended up with two twenty, um, sort of twenty one, I think, or something like that. Um, I was seventeenth overall. There was a lot of dropouts in the elite field. Um, I, I was, I think, at one point, I was something like thirtieth or fortieth in the race. 
Um, and basically, I went past a couple people, but I didn't go past that many people. Um, so the rest of them had all, all pulled out and dropped out of the race. Um, so the temperatures climbed up. Um, and Alex Lawrence, who was uh, the first Brit home, who, who ran 2.19, his PB is 2.17.59. Um, I think is um, he he was about a minute 40 ahead of me going uh, through halfway um, and he was um, 43 seconds ahead of me by the finish. So um, I was I was gaining on him um, and was one, two positions behind him in the end. So second Brit overall. Um, so it was it was a mixed emotions of a race, that one. Um, you know, it was great to be second British man home because technically on paper, we were all within sort of like, apart from Norman, whose PB was 2.16, um, but he was sort of getting back into that sort of shape. Um, we were all within sort of 10, 15 seconds of each other PB-wise. Um, and Norman, in his, in his current form, his last marathon was 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 in that window. Um, but um, so for but I was the the fourth sort of fastest or fourth slowest, whichever way you want to look at, um, in the in the team. So to finish second um, out of them really solidified my my selection there, which was which was good um, to show that I could run a really sensible and and you know more um, controlled sort of race and performance. Um, you know, my co- Alison was really happy with it. Um, Tom Craggs, who's the, the selector for the or the, the head of the um, marathon sort of um, England squad sort of thing, um, messaged me and said he was he was sounded like you know he was really happy. It sounded like a run a really controlled race and things like that. So great to have you know his feedback on that, um, especially since he'd seen my pre- other performances and though he enjoyed watching them, always thought you know there's there's something more to give there and do so. Um, he actually said if you know the conditions would have been better, that was definitely a PB run. So it was, it was nice to hear those sort of things and get those responses. Um, and yeah, off the back of how the block had gone and stuff, and that ten weeks and, and, and short block and injuries and things that, um, it, it felt like you know it was it was a, it was a good performance for for where we were and what the conditions ended up being and things out on the day. Um, but obviously, yeah, always would like like more. <laughs> of course, always more. And yeah, just to finish with. So many people dropping out. That's like an achievement in itself yeah. by the sounds of it. Yeah. So you have your own running shop. And yeah. Footwear is a big thing in running. So can you just talk about how important footwear is? Is there a difference for kind of like newbie runners, not, you know, elites like yourself, but just for the, the average runner, how important shoes are as well? Yeah. I mean, you know, when you first start out, you know, the, the thing with running is it is basically you know put a pair of shoes on uh, and get out the door. Uh, if you're a woman, a uh, running bra is 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 probably more important than you than your shoes in a way. Um, but you know for 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 the men and, and and women, you know a good pair of shoes, come on your feet, head out the door. Uh, and generally, you know people start with just whatever they've got access to. Uh, you know it might be an old pair of shoes, running shoes that they had for, for years ago, and they just put it on. And you know if they they don't know whether they're going to enjoy it, and so they, they you know they don't want to go out and spend you know a lot of money on a, a pair of shoes and and that's fine, you know. That's, you know, get out there and enjoy it. And once you realise you do enjoy it, then the thing is, then you, you know you're going to start building it. And you're going to increase the miles and stuff. And something that's been in the cupboard for ten years isn't going to have the protection and the, the cushioning and the support and things like that. Um, you, you know, you're going to build the miles you're running on. So you know, if you have got a weakness in a muscle somewhere or an imbalance or stuff like that, then you're gonna you're gonna start to notice that having an effect on on your body and um, because you're running further on that imbalance. So that's where, you know, stuff like a, a gait analysis and things like that come in. And a gait analysis is, is basically looking at how the, the, the way you run and 
you know, a, a lot of people will, will simplify it and just put it into a, a video and they'll just jump you on a treadmill or stand you on a machine that scans your feet and things like that. And then go, okay, yeah, you run like this. Here's the, here's the shoe you should take. Um, I, I always think that's really, it's, it, it's missing the big picture when people do that. Um, because, you know, for me, the, the gait analysis is very much a conversation and then we clarify and, and just, and just check that the conversation we've had has painted the correct picture by putting someone on the treadmill or scanning them and things like that. Um, and that conversation is, is, diving into the running history so you know if they if they're a new runner okay you know there's not a huge running history there but um you can have a look at we can talk about injuries that are running related and non-running related that have affected you know their lower back all the way to their feet you know they fell from a tree as a, as a kid and broke their ankle the chances are there's going to be some imbalance around the ankle somewhere whether it was because the bone isn't fully he- didn't heal correctly or whether it's because they did ligament tendon damage when they when they also broke their ankle um, and then that potentially is going to put them in something a more, a more structured, supportive shoe. Um, it, but it paints that bit of a picture of it. Um, also, what shoes they've been running in. You know, if they've got an old pair of, you know, neutral, neutral shoes from the the cupboard um, that someone bought them ten years ago, and that's what they started running in. And actually, they've got on with them fine, and they haven't caused them any problems. And but they know they're pretty much done, and they haven't got much life in them, and things like that. Well, the chances are they're probably neutral then because you'd think they would have had some problems from that shoe if it wasn't right for them as they've built the miles up and finally come in to buy a new pair of shoes sort of thing. Um, but if it's been giving them loads of grief um, or, you know, the other way, if it was a support shoe and it's been giving them loads of grief, then the chances are, yeah, that they probably need the neutral shoe or, or vice versa. Um, and the other one is that people who've run for years, um, you know, but have always run in a neutral shoe or they've always run in a support shoe, but have always had problems. Um, so I, 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 when I first started running, I just had the, that thing of someone put me on a treadmill, filmed me for 20 seconds or so and said, oh yeah, you overpronate, here's a support shoe. And so I went, okay. And I ran in support shoes and I was always injured. I always had little niggles here in the different, you know, left leg, right leg. Um, and you know, you just go, oh, it's growing. It's, you know, it's overtraining. It's so on and so on. And then, um, I went. Probably around when when I, st- I started back running, I had a, a gap from running um, when I was when I went to uni um, for about five years, and I, so I started back running about twenty five, and I went to get a gait analysis to see what shoes I should wear and things like, that and try out some of the new shoes because the world had changed the running shoes in that five year gap. Um, and the guy who did the gait analysis told me there when he, he had that won that conversation with me, um, and then did the video analysis, and he was like, yeah. I, I would never have put you in a support shoe. You, you, from what you were saying, it sounded like you were going to be neutral, and then you look really neutral on your on the video, um, and that pretty much then got rid of all those aches and pains. Um, you know, now I get injured is probably because I've done something stupid, um, rolled my foot on a fallen tree branch in the park because I've missed it, sort of thing. Not necessarily down to the shoe; it's not down to the shoes anymore. Um, so, um, you know, it, it is really key, but it, it is key to have. To make sure that you know you're getting that picture of, of of what that what your gait is sort of thing and your history and things like that not just someone throwing you on a treadmill and videoing it for a second or standing on a, a wet paper towel you know I mean it always makes me laugh when like a lot of the shoe brands actually show that on their website of when they say you know this is how you should check your your, your, your gait is stand on a you know get your foot wet and stand on a wet piece of paper and that'll mark out where you know what your gait is but standing to walk into running is three different gates and so it, it tells a very different picture depending on what 
on what you're doing. Um, and it's the same when we have, if we have people come in to buy a pair of running shoes, but they, they just want them to walk in then, you know, we still, I still like to do a gait analysis on them just to check that it's going to be right for walking, but we just get them to walk, um, you know, rather than run. Um, um, and we still have that conversation of, you know, their injury history, their shoe history, um, and, and what it is they, they're wanting to do and, and get out of the shoes and stuff like that. Um, but then when you, when it comes to them picking a shoe, you know, it, it, there's no, there's no best brand. There's no best shoe. It, it's very much a personal thing. There's a, there's a, what type of shoe is going to suit you best from a, a technical standpoint, from a, a gait analysis standpoint. Um, and then there's like, okay, well, every brand's got a shoe that matches that profile. It's then a matter of you trying, trying them. And you pretty much, you should, I would say there's, there's pretty, I don't think, I think people get overly loyal on brands and they're like, oh, I only run in this brand. Like there's a, there's a shoe in every brand that will suit you and you'll love running in and it might be, you might use them for completely different purposes in, in, in running. Um, you know, you might have a, a really cushioned shoe for that real, you know, easy recovery day run. You'll have a shoe for those faster tempo sort of stuff. You'll have just your pure day race shoe sort of thing. Obviously, you're not going to buy every single shoe under the sun because it costs money and you don't, you know, not everyone has the money to buy every shoe. If you did, you know, great, get out, get, get every shoe and enjoy, enjoy running in them all. Um, but you should try them all on and you should, when you, and the next time you go to get a new pair of running shoes, you should try again the range on because they're always updating them. They're always changing them. And the shoe you liked previously might be completely different or the shoes that you didn't like last time might be completely different and actually be a better shoe than what you've, what you've been running um, for you personally. So it's, we always bring out five or six different shoes for people um, to try on. Um, and just, you just got to, you're just looking for what feels the most comfortable and, what what I always sort of say it's the the thing with the running shoe is that there's so many barriers for you for you not to go out and run, um, especially in the UK when the weather's horrible most of the time. Like you don't want to put on a shoe that doesn't feel comfortable that makes you go. Oh, I really don't want to run in this shoe. You want to put on the shoe that makes you go. Okay, I want to get out the door now and go for a run, no matter what the weather's like, no matter what's going on and things like that. So you, you, your shoe has to feel comfortable and makes you want to go out the door. Yeah, a shoe that you're excited to run in. Kind of like yeah. what you said earlier off air about enjoying running. Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier about like injuries and just kind of weight training and stuff. So what do you do apart from running to improve your running performance or kind of manage your running performance if you do anything at all? Yeah. So it's, it's only something I've started to bring in, uh, very recently, really. Um, so in the past, I just used to think, you know, yeah, no, I just run all the time. That's it. I don't need weights. Don't need gym work, anything that I'm just going to run and, and that's it. Um, and then it was, it, it seeing my physio, I, I've had this weakness on this right side of my leg. Um, I rolled my ankle, uh, probably like 10 years ago at my cousin's wedding. And that's always left a little bit of weakness in my, my, um, uh, tendons around my, uh, my right ankle. Um, and that sort of throws my hip off a little bit. So that leaves my hip very tight. And so me and my physio have been working on, on, on that. And he gave me a couple of exercises and I'll, I basically do the exercises to sort out the injury that flares up. And once it's gone, I forget about them and I don't do them again until I do another race, which then re-triggers that injury again and I have to re-get them. Um, so he, he's finally got through to me, you know, I really need to just keep doing them all the time. Um, but the the cramp that I suffered in in, in London, um, I couldn't really figure out why I'd, I'd suffered it. I'd never really suffered from cramp um, and why that happened. And 
at the end, I went to the, the, the in the, the elite tent, they, they had the physios in there and I went and saw the physio and he sort of said to me, he said, he said, um, do you do any strength and conditioning work or anything like that? And I said, no, I said, no, I've, I, I, my body type is sort of the type where if I do weights or anything like that, I put muscle on really quickly. Um, I'm not your typical, um, traditional sort of marathon runner sort of build. I'm more built like a 1500, 800 meter guy. Um, a little stockier. Um, and, and I adapt to muscle a lot quicker, but my metabolism isn't particularly good. So I'm not as slim, but I, I, I put muscle on and gain muscle quite quick. Um, or, or weight quite quick if I, if I eat too much. So, um, so I've always stayed away from, from doing too much gym work because it, it, you know, I've, I can tell straight away if I've done too many press ups and things like that. And, you know, bicep curls and stuff because and my arms feel heavy as I run. And, um, but I was chatting to him and he sort of said, he said, we really need to do, you know, strength and conditioning. He said, um, you know, if you're doing the right, the right sort of strength and conditioning, you're not, you know, you're not going to put muscle in the wrong place and stuff like that. But you, you've, you've got yourself, he was saying, you've, you've got yourself fast enough to run in the elite field at the London Marathon. He said, every one of these guys will be doing strength and conditioning to some degree. He said, you know, you've got to, you've got to do it. And you, you said, you're not doing it to build muscle or anything like that. You're doing it to bulletproof yourself so that you're not having to pull out at 20 miles because your hamstrings cramped up. And, and that really sort of resonated. And so, um, I started looking into, you know, me and my physio were, were working on a lot of hip mobility sort of routines and stuff to really help strengthen uh, this right side. And then when we obviously then I had that ankle injury and, and things in the, in the January before Copenhagen. So uh, we really worked on putting together a full sort of ankle and a hip mobility sort of uh, routine that we could do, you know, just sort of 20 minutes a day sort of routine. Um, and that, you know, once I started implementing that, that that got me ready and prepared for Copenhagen and I've come off the back of Copenhagen without any aches and pains or anything like that. Um, but me and Alison didn't want to also add to, and my physio didn't want to add too much into that strength and conditioning program in that block because the focus was just trying to get fit one, you know, yeah, do the stuff for the right leg and make sure it's, it's bulletproof. Um, but two, you know, we don't want to add too much and things. Whereas we've now got this time over the summer um, to really implement a real, strong strength and conditioning program and and really add that and you know it's one of the great things i suppose from where i am is that yeah i've run to 18 but there's there's a lot of stuff for me to to change and and, and adapt to to get me to go you know faster and um, if we were running 218 and i was doing everything it'd be like well you know i think allison probably wouldn't have coached me because she probably would have gone well there's not nothing nothing i can really do for you and, and and help you um but she knew that basically i had no strength and conditioning she knew my nutrition isn't the greatest. Um, um, she sort of knew that even as a marathon runner, my endurance side is probably my weakest side. I, you know, I'm very much, you know, I, I can really hit the fast sessions really well, but um, my marathon pace, long runs and stuff like that is probably where I'm, I'm weaker at. So, you know, that that gives a lot of room for for, for work to adapt um, those sort of lactic thresholds and, and things like that. Um, so that that really got her excited when when I asked her about about coaching me really so she, she knew there was a lot of work that could be done and improve and maybe not necessarily in the Copenhagen block but in in the in the next block going forward. Brilliant, yeah, it's good to know you have more in you, and yeah. strength training is benefiting as well. That's been my experience, even though I'm you know nowhere near your level with running. I feel like I'm kind of bulletproofed a little bit from the gym work I do. So good to hear yeah. that it helps. Yeah, I mean that's it, and and. It's the thing again, you know, a lot of runners miss out on because you sort of think, well, I just run, um, and, and that's it. That's what I'll do. And it's exactly what I thought. You know, I always felt, well, I run if, if I need strength work, I'll just do some hill reps. 
you know, that'll do me quads and, and things like that and everything. Um, but you know, yeah, there's there's a lot more to it, and and obviously depending on what you're trying to achieve and, and your goals from it, um, you know, there's a lot of things to be gained by implementing a, a, a you know a good structured strength and conditioning plan and sort of mobility plan, especially with the hips. Um, you know, I, I'd probably say, and this isn't you know, um, this is this is just me throwing numbers here as statistics. It's, there's no basis of this, but um, the majority of people I know that come in and things like that and have injuries and stuff everyone seems to say you know it's the hip and I think a lot of runners you know and I I know I did in the past was I would you know I'd maybe stretch my calves off I'd maybe foam roll my calves a little bit I'd do maybe some little calf raises for my Achilles and things like that maybe some ankle looseners or something like that and never really did anything much higher up the leg as it got up I probably got less and less you know stretching or anything that if I was going to do any at all um but I definitely probably never did anything for the hip but the hip is that hip group, the glutes, everything around there is is like the biggest set of muscles there that we're doing when we're running. It's, and we're bringing everything up. We're driving through from the hip. Um, you know, we're striding out through the hips, everything like that. And so there's, there's a lot of like mobility work that we can do on the hip that would just increase our stride length, which would then increase, you know, the, the efficiency of our running um, and therefore make all the paces from 5K pace all the way to the marathon and ultra paces just feel so much more efficient um, and give us more time. You know, you can, if you can add a couple centimeters to your stride length, you can take a couple seconds off per mile um, in a marathon. And therefore, you know, when that comes up, the cumulative distance, you're talking, you know, minute, minute PBs and things like that, just because you've increased your stride length by a, a centimeter or two. So, yeah, again, more potential there that you can tap into. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a, a race coming up. It's just uh, on, on Sunday, just a, a training kind of race, just kind of for fun. Any sort of tips with, with racing? Because I know a lot of people get really excited on the day and they start off too fast is something I see or heard of commonly. So are there any kind of mistakes people make on the day or any tips you can give for preparation for a race? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, as I say, I'm I'm well known for going off far too quick and things and um there was a, someone took a video of the Copenhagen marathon start and um, there's me a good way back from the rest of the England squad. And I, I posted it in um, after all the little jokes of, of how fast I go off, just sort of saying, you know, uh, look, there is uh, no more comments about how fast I go off now. Um, Cause I was, I was sensible on it, but it is really difficult. It, you've got to fight that urge to, to, you know, to go off. And, you know, I always say it comes from having been, you know, you know, a young, a 15, 14 year old doing cross country races where, you know, the gun would go and you'd go, you'd, you'd all go off like bats out of hell. Um, uh, you know, um, and I still, that's how I still, I still start. And, um, but, but it, my experience in Copenhagen was by going off at the pace that I was meant to go off and meant to try and run at, um, it felt so much more comfortable. Like the whole race up until the heat came in. And my girlfriend mentioned that, like, it was the first time she'd ever seen me, like, acknowledge her. Like, I'd seen her at the side and I could sort of, like, wave and say hello as I was running past. Um, and my, uh, Alison's husband, David, he was the, they both, they both came out to the race and, um, um, he was, he got photos of me and literally every time I, I'd managed to turn to the camera and sort of give a smile and a thumbs up sort of thing. Um, and he, he sort of jokingly said, you know, stop, stop looking at the camera. Um, and I suppose it was, I've never really looked at the camera in races. Usually I'm like, you know, my face looks like I'm dying out there whenever I've been on a photo and, um, it, you know, 
I wouldn't notice the cameras and I wouldn't notice my girlfriend or my mum or anything like that out there supporting. Um, but I did this time and I think it's because it, it just felt so much more comfortable running at the pace that is an achievable pace to sort of run at. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, going into a race and things like that, it's, it's, it's knowing what pace you need to be training at and, and, and running at, um, in, in that race, uh, you know, what, what, what your pace you've, you've trained at and, um, you know, because that is what you've trained at to achieve your goal in, in, in that race. And so, you know, being, being sensible and, and, and sticking to that. Um, I mean, there is, you know, for me, the going off fast is, is a good one to do at races where if you know you're sort of in a place where you could possibly win it, um, you know, or in, or in for a fight for the win of it and stuff like that, but you don't really know who else is there. Sometimes it's, it's a good tactic. You can use it tactically going off fast because if you go off quick, You'll either you'll you'll suddenly people who are who are also thinking they're in with the chance of winning. They'll either come with you, um, or no one will come with you, or you'll get someone who maybe isn't capable of it who will come with you, and you'll burn and they'll burn out sort of thing. So you'll get rid of them. So there's a little bit where you can use it as a, as a bit of a tactic as well in in, in that regard. And um, if you are going to be at that sort of front end of of the race, um, but it's probably more sensible to do that maybe over like the shorter 5k 10k's half marathons than it is to do over a marathon because it's a long way and and, and you you're burning through the, the fuel sort of sources of that when you when you do go off really hard um but then you know the, the main thing as well for, for race day and stuff is 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 trying to keep yourself you know nice and calm um i know like going into into sunday um you know I kept thinking to myself, I don't feel that nervous. Like maybe I should feel a little bit more nervous going into this. And I just felt really calm and casual. Um, but it, it, it's less energy usage when you feel nice and calm and casual. Like, it, you know, you're not, you're not getting nervous and, and or overexcited and, or worrying and things. And even like we, we arrived at the, the hotel, um, and the flight was quite late. Um, and I'd, I'd messaged earlier on about like, oh, can we look at game? Can I, can I look at booking my own flight and going out earlier? Um, but because it was the England squad and stuff, it was like fly with the team. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. But we were only going to get into Copenhagen at 10 p.m. on the Friday. And for me, like I, I probably, if it was, if I was traveling myself, I'd have probably gone out on the Thursday um, just to be there and just be able to settle and be calm and here. Um, but we, we, we were getting there at 10 o'clock and the flight got delayed. Um, so we were getting there even later. And we got to the hotel. It was about 11 o'clock, got a room card, went to my room. And then found out I was like sharing a room. No one had told me I was sharing a room, but it was also a, it was a, it, there was only a double bed in the room. So it was like, well, I can't really share this with, it was, it was Norman I was, it was meant to be sharing with. It was like, well, I mean, me and Norman are friends, but we're not that friendly, friendly that we could be sharing the same double bed. Um, so I went back and was sort of like, oh, you know, there's only a double bed in there. What, what's, what's going on? Um, by this time, you know, it's clock, it, the time's ticking on. It's the, it's the most important night before the race to get some sleep because the night of the race, you, you don't sleep that well anyway because you do start to get a little bit nervous and things. Um, and, you know, but I was just sort of like, I was just really casual about it. And I just sort of like, I just phoned the team manager and got him from his room and he came out and I just left him to, to deal with it because I thought there's no point in me. I'm already not sleeping at this moment in time. There's no point in me using any more energy up and, you know, I was chatting to the team manager and chatting to Alison afterwards about it. And they said, that, you know, my reaction to that was really good that I just stayed nice and calm and didn't waste any energy on it because it, it was a stressful situation. But I just put that on to Andy and let him deal with it rather than me taking it. Um, but it, I then got stressed the next day and Alison saw it was, we'd end, I'd end up getting another room. 
but we'd sort of like just got the other room for that night but I wasn't sure whether and I wasn't sure whether I was meant to be staying in that room or what was going on with it and so I met up with Alison later that day and her husband and I just kept saying I'm worried that I'm going to go back to my room and someone else has moved in or my stuff's been chucked out of it and things that sort of thing so um you know that maybe used a little bit of energy up but um yeah you've just got to stay calm no matter what gets thrown at you because there's always going to be complications going into into the race and stuff traffic you get stuck in traffic on the way there or you know you forget something um I know um Anya was was telling us she went to Barcelona half uh, where she ran a PB and she went out there without her shoes she didn't take her race shoes with her um and luckily she managed to get a boyfriend to pass them on to someone else who was coming out before the race and get them to bring them and, and stuff but you know and she luckily she she ran a PB there but um you know there's there's always complications and stuff like that but you you've just got to try and take them in your stride and not use up too much energy on those complications and trust in your in your training that you you're ready for race day yeah save up your energy for the actual race itself yeah they can plan as well and trust you at your training so matt this has been brilliant thanks very much for your time is there any no final message you want to leave people with or let people know about anything you're doing um no i mean just you know you just keep enjoying the running that's the, the always the the main thing is enjoy what you're doing Questions or anything that they, they want to, any any answers or anything? Brilliant. Thanks very much, Matt.